it's interesting, though, because so much of the etiquette that was involved during that time period was to like curtail that emotional response to things right otherwise well I guess you get 2019 (laughs) that's what happens when you don't have etiquette right we're all the emotion of the regency period with none of the etiquette that's exactly where we're at right now wow Welcome back to the Modern Lady Podcast. You're listening to episode 43. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lindsay. And today, we modern ladies are going back in time to the time of Jane Austen. Today, we are putting our combined romanticization of the past to good and purposeful use. After years of reading, watching, and learning about various eras in history, we have come to recognize certain lifestyle trends from the Regency period in particular, that we would love to see make a comeback, even in today's modern culture, from healthcare to dating and everything in between. But first, if you are enjoying our podcast as much as Michelle and I enjoy bringing it to you, please consider taking a few minutes to rate and review the Modern Lady Podcast on Apple Podcasts. Another way that you can help spread the word is by sharing this episode with your friends and family. We also love receiving your feedback and get so excited when we receive comments from our listeners. This week's shout out goes to Andrea Schreiber from the KW Catholic Moms Group, who recommended us to her followers on Facebook saying, quote, Moms, you have got to check out the Modern Lady podcast. Their latest episode on gossip is very insightful and provides practical tips to nip this vice for good. Listen to it while folding laundry, on your commute to work, or on your last ditch attempt to put the kids to sleep while driving around in a minivan going through the Tim Hortons drive-thru ordering a steeped tea with two milks and one sugar. Totally hypothetical, of course. End quote. Oh yes, completely hypothetical, of course. Wink wink, we totally know the struggle. Thank you so much for your shout out, Andrea. And if you would like to leave us a comment, you can do so on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com, or you can leave us a comment on Facebook or Instagram, where you can find us at The Modern Lady Podcast. But before we get into today's chat, Lindsay has our Modern Lady Tip of the Week. So after the very elaborate fashions and hairstyles of the 18th century, think giant pompadours and those very huge and wide dresses, I don't know how they could make it through doorways, white powdered wigs, that sort of thing, things took a turn towards a more natural silhouette during the Regency period. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about if you've ever watched Pride and Prejudice or any of the other film adaptations of Jane Austen novel. Think long flowy dresses, little cap sleeves, empire waists, and bonnets. This was a massive departure from the tight corsets of the previous centuries, and women must have loved this new style. We can attribute this trend partially to Napoleon and his campaigns in Egypt. People became obsessed with the ancient world, particularly ancient Greece and Rome, and this neoclassical look was all the rage in architecture and clothing. This was especially noticeable when it came to the hairstyles of the Regency era. Think a loose bun with tight curls around the face. This look was also very practical as they could wear a bonnet, but have some pretty face framing curls so that their hair wasn't completely hidden. So how did they get those curls? I keep reading about curling papers, so I decided to look them up. 
And we can all do this today. So you take some paper, you know, today might like be a brown paper bag that would probably work the best. And you cut it into long strips that are 1.5 inches by eight inches long. You take your damp hair, you grab a lot of hair if you want bigger waves or just a little bit of hair if you want tighter curls. And then you just simply wrap the hair once around the middle with then the, the two ends sticking out horizontally. And then you roll the whole thing either upwards or downwards, depending on the direction that you like. And then you twist the long ends of the paper together to secure. And apparently this is very, very effective and it's far less damaging for our hair than using heated curling irons or like metal rollers that are really, really hard to sleep in. So Michelle, you and I, well, you have naturally really curly hair, so I guess you don't need to do this, but I might try this. But don't you have naturally curly hair too? I do, but my curls just look like an old perm from the 80s. You have beautiful ringlets. So I I think my hair could actually do this and then maybe hold the curl well. Well, I I do have to say my curls over the years, like um, often people say your hair changes when you have children Mm -hmm. and I do Mm -hmm. find my curls loosen, have loosened with each child's birth (laughs) yeah so when I was in high school that might have been true it was uh, much tighter curls actually I had and now they are getting looser and looser as I get older so I'm I might try this when I feel when I have the occasion that I need to surely temple it up Mm -hmm. I might reach for the paper bag instead of the curling iron trends can be hit or miss a lot of the time But there are some lifestyle trends that are timeless and that are actually worth hanging on to even centuries later. Right, Lindsay? That's right, Michelle. So today we're looking into the Regency period, and we better define that before we go a little bit deeper. So technically, the Regency period is a sub-period in the midst of a greater Georgian period. Now, the Georgian era is a period of British history that spans from 1714 until the last King George's death in um, 1837, after which Queen Victoria took over. So nestled in the middle of that, roughly, is the Regency period. And this is when King George III wasn't doing very well. Um, We know it as the madness of King George. And his son, the Prince of Wales, had to reign in his place, known as the Prince Regent, during that time. And that is where we get the words, the Regency period. Now, this is the era of Jane Austen. She's the best known writer of that time. And it's a time that was really defined with Napoleonic Wars. And so it was a time that people really based their styles and their lifestyles. Everything was defined by the military and romanticism. Mm -hmm. These two things. I find those two things often actually go hand in hand, Mm -hmm. you know, with chivalry and love, um, romanticism and the military. But these two things really defined fashion and um, a lot of just lifestyle choices that we'll look into a little bit more. Romanticism was kind of a revolt against everything that was going on in the late 1700s, which was a lot of... um, the people rising up against the monarchy. There was a lot of social revolt, uh, revolts against the aristocracy. And so this new period was really fraught with emotion. And that emotion was greatly felt in its music. It's one of my favorite eras of music and periods of music and in its poetry. And so there was just a lot of talks on feelings. It seems actually a lot Mm. like 
2019, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. And the book that defined that period most of all was Mary Shelley's, Shelley's Frankenstein, actually, which had its 200th really? anniversary last year in 1818. Mm. It, you know, so um, 2018 was its 200th anniversary. That that book just really summed up the struggles with humanity and with the fighting against, you know, new technology and just so much about interior struggles. And so it was just a very emotional period. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, though, because so much of the etiquette that was involved during that time period was to like curtail that emotional response yes. to things right otherwise yeah. oh, well I guess you get 2019 <laughs> that's what happens when you oh don't my have gosh, etiquette you're so right <laughs> that's we're right. all the emotion of the regency period with none of the that's etiquette right. that's exactly yes. where we're at right now wow okay so right. Michelle if we were to bring back some of that etiquette right mm-hmm. as you and I were saying so we kind of came up with a list of things that we've noticed throughout and we are not scholars. So these are just things that we've noticed um, over Mm -hmm. the years of reading books from that period or watching the movies. Things that we thought, hmm, that actually sounds like a really good idea. That maybe should come back. Yeah, this is good. This is a good list. Uh, What was the first one on your list? I think we should just jump right into courtship. And so Mm -hmm. I know a lot of listeners might say, oh, there's a thousand things wrong that was happening at that courtship. We get all that too. Okay, this is not a history episode on like Uh, a political statement episode, we're just saying that some of the parts of their courtship actually seem incredibly romantic. And what we find so funny is that it goes completely against all of the things that we are supposed to think are romantic now. So when, when you look at their courtship, it was, it was a very short courtship. Usually it was um, a lot of love letters, very long and wordy love letters. Mm -hmm. Um, they barely touched, like you were not supposed to physically touch each other. The the most you could do to let a gentleman know that perhaps you had feelings for him would be to slightly apply some pressure to his hand. And mm. I was thinking about that. And every time I read that in one of the books, and I think that actually gives me butterflies in my stomach, not mm-hmm. the incredibly physical connections we often do right when we meet somebody in 2019. Yeah, something so subtle, right? Like mm-hmm. even eye contact mm-hmm. was so meaningful. Um, y- you look at something like Pride and Prejudice as the ultimate example of this. Elizabeth Bennett and Mr. Darcy, they barely even speak to each other for most of the novel, right? Because they they don't even like each other. But when the feelings start to turn... Um, it's often the the looks, like they catch each other's looks from across the room. And to live in a in a time when your eye contact meant so much, you could say so much with a look. It actually reminds me of some scenes from the movie Austin Land. Have you ever seen Austin Land? I started it and I loved it. And I thought, and the kids were around, I thought, you know what, maybe I should watch this one a little later. So I actually yeah. haven't finished it yet. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Austin Land is pretty hit or miss um, for kids. So Mm -hmm. that is definitely up to a parent's discretion. But it is an enjoyable watch. It's a very fluffy movie. Um, When I did watch it, I did Google whether Austin Land was real because I would have seriously considered (laughs) taking a vacation there. It's an immersive (laughs) Austin experience, right? Oh my goodness. Um, But they're trying as modern people to live in that time period so it was Mm -hmm. interesting and in one of the scenes the the main characters uh the love interests are running through the hallways of the house 
And the man's like, why are we running? (laughs) And the woman's like, a man and a woman should never be left alone in each other's company unless they're in motion. (laughs) And and then there's like little parts because they're trying to play this role, right? Like a very light kiss, like just on the inside of the wrist. Mm -hmm. Like this was like the turning point. That was like the pinnacle of their relationship turning compared to, like you said, like today, what would that be uh, on the modern side in 2019? It's so interesting. And what I find particularly interesting is that I don't think you could find a single man or woman that wouldn't express an incredible desire for that gentle and Mm -hmm. subtle sign of romance and of attraction. So I don't know how we got so far this way, because I think everybody, even the toughest man goes, oh, inside, maybe not outside, um, but in his heart, when you see that (laughs) depicted in the films. So there is something that draws all of us back to that, yet we've you know, taken that idea of physical affection um, so, Mm -hmm. so far to the other end during courtship. So I say, let's like, even with our own husbands, like when's the last time you still the littlest touch of his hand or something like that? Like I'm inspired Mm -hmm. to do a little um, Regency era courtship within my marriage. Yeah, right. Like it it almost speaks to a a sense of being cherished Mm. by the other person, right? And perhaps that has been lost a little bit in our in our modern age of uh, it's more self-interested, right? Yeah. What can yeah. I get out of it as opposed to uh, showing somebody just how precious they are to you. And when right. something's precious to you, you handle them gently. Aww. And so I know, right? right? <laughs> there, there we go. Swooning. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, the swoon, of course. <laughs> okay. So what is the second thing on your list? I noticed that the characters always go for daily walks. They are always getting ready to go out for a walk. So they often have a chaperone with them. Um, So it was never usually a lady alone, but that does happen sometimes in the books as well. I think depending on where you're staying, if you're on a private property versus a walk around out in public. Um, Mm -hmm. But they got outside almost in all of the weather, right? They'd bundle up or they go out even if it's going to start raining and they just got that time out in the fresh air and they would go for long walks. And it's some of the most incredible parts in those books is when they're describing the countryside around them. And then it seems like they would often do a separate smaller walk during the day through the little walled gardens or the little um, well manicured gardens. And it just, and those walks, I feel like were totally different because they were meant to really appreciate the natural beauty of the flowers and of the, you know, hedges and that sort of thing around them. They just really Mm -hmm. went out into nature more than we do. Mm -hmm. Just taking a turn around the garden, right? Mm -hmm. Like that was the phrase, a turn around the garden. It just feels good to get outside and to move. And so I wonder if that's just a timeless thing um, for people in general, but especially for women, because I, correct me if I'm wrong, like during that time, they probably wouldn't have like gone hunting. No. With the men or something well, like that, right? There they, was, yeah. Okay, what would they do? Um, That came a little bit later, like the shooting parties. So the women mm-hmm. would sometimes shoot, but would stand with them. But then they would often go and just have their tea, but they would be outside with them. But yeah, they oh, okay. really understood the health benefits of getting out and getting that fresh air into your lungs. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, a trip to the country to breathe in the clean air. Now, this is especially true because of how horrible the air was in London and then the big cities. It was really, really bad, true. right? Like, 
like the coal powered furnaces and that kind of thing was very smoggy and, and gross. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I would love to get back into that habit of a daily walk. And, and when I read about it again, I'm like, that sounds so romantic. And I'm like me wandering on the streets of Waterloo region, not quite as romantic, but, <laughs> but I could try. Well, you're not wearing a, dr- a long dress. Oh, you're missing the dress and the paper, the paper curls. Actually, I am wearing an empire style long dress right now. Oh my goodness. Well, let's pack up the microphones and get out there. Get out for a walk, yes. yes. (laughs) The other thing that they always did is go for picnics. So they, I felt Mm. like, again, they were outside. And so it was just that fresh air, right? And I'm always like, oh, picnics, so much work. And I would never, (laughs) never plan. (laughs) Now, let's just make it now. And we were fully aware that these people had like wait staff and servants and everybody helping them set up these right. beautiful picnics. Mm-hmm. But just again, that idea of being outside. Right. Because their picnics were not just like a, a bunch of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. That's right. And, and some granola bars, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, it was like a roast chicken. Yeah. Um, so all of these forms of leisure and entertainment and getting outside and being outside actually leads quite nicely into your third uh, point, which is the quiet of that oh, yes. era, right? The peace. Yeah, like there was way less. Yes. So an area where quiet is a requirement is when you are sick, right? <sighs> and the people in the Regency period had vastly different ways of caring for their sick. <laughs> yeah, they had amazing ways. And this is almost completely un reachable, unattainable for most of us in our busy lives. But that's one of the first things that struck me in reading Jane Austen's novels um, is when somebody was sick or they twisted an ankle or they had a chill or a sore throat, it was written about a lot. Now, granted, people died from your regular flus all the time, then, right? So okay. like medical things yeah. were taken a lot more seriously. But what really struck me is the amount of time they gave to somebody to heal to recover from something where they would take care of them and they weren't expected to jump back up and go to work the next day. Again, we know this can't fully happen, but is there a way Mm -hmm. that we can treat ourselves more gently and think that there is something to be said for actually resting? And this is coming from me. I've been sick for 10 days, still sick Mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. And do you think I've had a day where I've just rested and laid down? No. Do you think anybody's put that on me. No, I just, I'm not allowing myself to rest when Mm. I can rest. So I think that there are a lot more times when we can rest. So we're just not letting ourselves rest. Um, and there are times where we can't, but that if we can, we should, and especially after an illness, they, they then recuperate for a long time too. Even after they're feeling better, you know, they, if they live in the city, they'd go out to the countryside or they would go to the seaside to breathe that air. And, um, there was just Mm. a really different way of approaching holistic health back then that I think there were a lot of mistakes in health, but there were some good things to take from that as well. You know what? This aspect always fascinated me in Pride and Prejudice mm-hmm. when Elizabeth Bennett caught, a, no, Jane, her yes, sister, yes. caught a cold walking to Netherfield because yes. um, her mother made her walk in the rain, yep. right? And they had their damp dresses <laughs> and she, at the bottom. And that was it. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And so she caught a cold yes. and then she had to stay in bed there, yes. like at Netherfield Park, not even sent home yeah. for weeks. And then her her sister Elizabeth was sent to stay there for weeks mm-hmm. as well to, to tend to her walking and distance. be entertained by that family. Like it wasn't even but, that yeah, far. They walked there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just how different that is for for us when we have colds today. Um, but I actually have a theory about medicine. Mm. 
for years, you and I were, were saying the other day that we didn't take medic cold medication yep. because for so many years we were either pregnant or nursing. Yep. Um, and, and there are some people who do more natural medicine, but I think the medicine doesn't heal you. Mm. And sometimes I forget that, right? It's not the medicine that heals you, but it masks the symptoms yep. enough that it allows you to rest. And it's the rest, even still today, it's that they want your body to be able to catch a breath, you know, almost literally. It does mask the symptoms, but it also masks the symptoms so that you can go right back to work. So it has, That's right, true, it has right. A, a negative flip side to it that we medicate and we're like, okay, I'm okay, I can get back in and nobody else sees that you're sick, but you're really sick inside. It's just not letting you know that. And so it's really important, I think, that we feel our sickness and get more in tune with our bodies. Yeah. And just using that medication. I like what you were saying about um, letting your body feel sick. Mm -hmm. So you realize just what is bad and what is good and when it's getting worse. Um, And just maybe trying to save that uh, medication for bedtime when your body naturally needs its rest and then you can go to sleep. Very, very interesting that we have so much modern advances, but still the the concept is the same. You need to rest Mm -hmm. when you're sick. So going along with um, Lizzie Bennett's (laughs) and Jane Bennett's long stay at Netherfield Park, that was another thing that we were talking about um, that was different, the long stays Mm -hmm. with friends and staying in people's homes. Mm -hmm. And again, a lot of this was because of transportation, right? So it took a very long time to get to somebody's house. Um, But this Mm -hmm. idea of visiting, so how do we extrapolate that down into 2019? And we, we do our best with playdates and trying to get together, but it's like this idea of doing um, not necessarily a playdate, but getting together with your friends just as ladies to have a cup of tea in the morning, not even in the evenings for like a girl's night out, just idea of visiting each other's homes and serving each other. You and I've talked about this in many mm-hmm. different ways on the podcast, and I know it seems so simple, but then I think, I don't even do this. Like I love, but I'm really Mm. drawn to this idea of visiting, sitting down and catching up. And we've talked before about how I think Facebook makes us feel like we're doing that, right? We're catching it. Like Mm -hmm. we're all caught up in each other's lives because I watched your Insta stories. So even when you're together, you talk about other things, but this idea of sitting down and actually catching up and, and visiting and having a nice cup of tea and maybe a little treat. I just, I'm really wanting to, again, be really intentional about that with my girlfriends. Mm-hmm. It's all people oriented and people centric. Um, and the things that you have are meant to be shared with everyone mm-hmm. else, right? Like that was much more of a, of a mentality the further in the past that we that we go. Um, and this kind of relates to the way they view charity, mm-hmm. too, and in taking care of the poor, yeah. right? Like, I really feel like that face-to-face encounter with those who are less fortunate than you was so much uh, more prevalent back in the day. And in some ways, the Regency era had to really pick up charity on um, on an individual level. A, there wasn't a lot of government services um, beyond the later edition of the mm. Victorian workhouse. I mean, that's a whole other thing. And there's kind of like this void where there wasn't a lot of charity between the dissolution of the uh, monasteries by King Henry VIII when he destroyed all of the Catholic monasteries. And those monasteries Mm -hmm. throughout history fed and clothed and sheltered the poor. And so when those Mm -hmm. were destroyed, there was all of a sudden this huge 
gaping hole of nobody being able to help the poor. And you really see individuals then taking up the cause. And so a lot of these wealthy Regency and Georgia era, Georgian era people um, would take care of the people who lived on their estates. And so there would be like the estate property and it was usually the main house in the town. The town would grow up kind of around it. There'd be a parish and then a a manor house. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it would be the people that um, usually worked at both of those properties. And then a little town would spring up. And this isn't, this is true. Like the, the wealthier patrons would get food from their properties and they would bring it down and feed the families. And often that went extended right to medical care. So the more educated women of the houses um, would go and take care of, or even birth the babies of the less educated women who, you know, were suffering financially in the towns. And this is true, right? I just finished reading Gone with the Wind and this was true right then as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Scarlett's mother would go take care of the families that were either the black families or the poor white families and she would deliver their babies and and help um with illnesses putting herself in great jeopardy which eventually killed her um mm-hmm. to be with these families in great need but they would share their skills and their knowledge and they wouldn't take that for granted yeah i love this whole concept of people just caring for other people right in their own backyards and in their community right so another thing that um you were saying they saw a lot of in the regency era is you know, people taking care of their parents into their old age um, and families growing up in intergenerational homes, right? And I really love this because in my own family, I have seen this in the care of both of my grandparents uh, by my mom and her siblings, um, my aunts and uncles. I mean, just exceptional consideration and care for their parents and for my great aunts and uncles as they grow older too. Um, And I also had the example of some of my mom's friends who had their parents living with them as they grew older too, so they could care for them. And I realized like there are certain circumstances where this isn't a possibility, but I do love that idea of families even caring for one another in all stages of their lives in sickness and in health and in good times and in bad, not just physically, but emotionally and being companions throughout your whole life. Like as a child, up into adulthood, up into your elderly years. I just think that's really a beautiful picture. And I think that that out of everything we were talking about, I think that that's actually especially true for everybody of every um, stage in in that community. So even Mm -hmm. the poorest families, right, would not just send their elderly parents out onto the street. Like you always stuck together as a family. So I think that was true for the, the poorest families right up into the elite. There was just a sense of family that we, a lot of us have seemed to have lost today. Mm hmm. And so moving into our last point now, you know, not everything was simple and quiet and silent and duty bound. Um, There were lots of dancing and parties. Yes, there was. um, Actually, we we should link to it. An excellent documentary done by your favorite and mine, Lucy Worsley, where her team actually recreate a ball in one of the manor houses Jane Austen would have visited and stayed in in her life. And they actually do it right down to the detail of um, how people changed their shoes when they got to the party, things we would have never considered, how many candles were used, the length of burning time for the candles. Like it is in perfect detail of what a Regency era ball would have been like. And Mm -hmm. it is amazing. And so here we are thinking that, yeah, it's all so subdued and quiet and um, Mm -hmm. chaperones everywhere. And yes, all that was true. But there was (laughs) these incredible chances to party. And the men went gambling. There was a lot of alcohol. There was delicious food. 
foods. Um, mm-hmm. There was a lot of card games. So, um, you know, it was also a time of great revelry. And so mm-hmm. I think that when you think about this idea, and this is incredibly romantic, the idea of like going into your carriage, traveling for two days, staying at a friend's manor house for two months and being at a big ball while you were there. It just mm-hmm. sounds awesome. Um, yeah. But what does. I think is really interesting too is that there wasn't a lot of times where men and women were um, actually together, A, because of etiquette, but B, because there was just a constant, never ending battle, usually with France during that time. Also, the War mm-hmm. of 1812 was happening, you know, here in North okay. America. And so mm-hmm. British soldier, soldiers were in high demand and they most of the men were gone all the time. Or if they came back, they were really wounded, that sort of thing. Um, so men and women kind of did their own thing a lot. Yes, I said thing right. with an A. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, so that's just in general right so there was a lot of that like really sisterhood that that woman bonding time and then the men hanging out Mm -hmm. in their barracks there was a lot of that but when they were together even with the dinner party as we know carrying right up until gosh the 50s um, after dinner the men would go into you know a a more manly type room with a fireplace and cigars and drinks and have their talk and the women would go into their more delicately decorated parlor and have lady time and we're like oh Mm. how archaic but I'm like that sounds fantastic (laughs) like yes I really love the idea of women hanging like we try to force Mm -hmm. couple double dating sometimes and I think a lot of husbands Mm -hmm. feel dragged into that and would just do a lot better having a beer with a buddy at a bar while the women go out for their own thing Mm -hmm. well you can even see it too like when um couples get together and stuff often we are trying to talk over each other Mm -hmm. like over the partners to our girlfriend (laughs) yeah across (laughs) from our husbands yeah like we're already kind of doing that we actually did this with good friends of ours when they lived closer to us and they've since moved but we would have what we called, um, we would swap spouses and it's not what it sounds like, Right, but essentially, (laughs) essentially it would be after dinner. Once the kids were pretty settled and put to bed, it would be like, I would drive over to their house, Mm -hmm. um, to hang out with, uh, the wife, my friend, and the husband would drive to our house to hang out with Phil. Um, because none of, none of us could leave our kids or find babysitters. That's actually a great idea. Mm -hmm. So the the new spousal swap we'll call it and instead of parlors it's houses right right (laughs) oh i love that okay it's time for our what we're loving this week segment of the show so Lindsay, what have you been loving this week this week is another podcast and i have been loving Mm -hmm. the india hicks podcast and it's it's also titled india hicks and lady p do you know who india hicks is No, I have no idea. Okay. Her mother is Lady Pamela Mountbatten. Do you know the Mountbattens? Oh, I do. Okay. So her father was the famous Louis Mountbatten, um, who was kind of like a father figure to Prince Philip um, and is Mm -hmm. the, I believe, godfather of Prince Charles. I didn't write any of this down, so this is just from my knowledge of the royal family. But um, she is the daughter of Louis Mountbatten, and he had two daughters, him and his wife, and he was the last... Um, Viceroy of India before that all dissolved. Mm. And so um, very interesting life she has led. So she is a blood relation to the royal family. And so Lady Pamela was also a lady in waiting to the young prince.
Princess Elizabeth and was there with her when Princess Elizabeth found out about her father's death when she became the queen and was on that world tour with her. And so Lady Pamela has seen a lot. Now she's in her early 90s, early to mid 90s, just like Queen Elizabeth, and wrote a book about her life. But now her daughter is India Hicks. India Hicks is a famous supermodel from the 80s and then went on to develop several businesses and is just all around a really amazing woman. And um, Mm -hmm. she is sitting, she she lives in um, Bahamas usually, and she travels back to Mm -hmm. her mother's estate in England and they've set up a podcast and she's asking her mother the questions and getting her mother to share the stories, you know, before she passes. And it's a really fantastic podcast. And there's a lot of controversy, of course, with the Royal family and even with Louis Mountbatten, her father, but just kind of pushing all that aside. It's a fantastic podcast. And I know you would love it, Michelle. Mm -hmm. Oh, perfect. You're going to have to slow down with these podcast (laughs) recommendations. I don't know if I I ever thought I would say this, but I can't keep up because I am almost done 1619, which you recommended last week. And it is so fantastic. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that this one this week as well, I'll start that as soon as I can. So what have you been loving this week? Well, Lindsay, I think I found your new Murder, She Wrote follow-up no. for when you're all caught up. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if you've heard about Foil's War. I've heard about it, but never seen it. Okay. So it, we just started it last week, uh-huh. and we love it. We are smitten. Um, it stars Michael Kitchen. Uh-huh. Um, it takes place during the Second World <gasps> War. Where um, I'm freaking out already. You <laughs> even got to the okay, plot line. Handle, like, Keiko, it's British. It's Second World War. There's murders. Oh my gosh, all my favorite things, Keiko. Yes. <laughs> so it follows the detective, Christopher Foyle. And um, the description of the show online says that he fights crime on the south coast of England on the home front, while his son, who is in the RAF, fights abroad uh, during the war. So we have been loving this show because I think it's because there's so much social history Mm -hmm. from that era that I find so interesting. Like, how did daily life on the home front need to change with the war effort? And what were the opinions of the people on the war, like Mm -hmm. the war happening at the time? Hindsight is 2020, right? Like we can look back and see um, these massive events in history for what they were. And we have so many different perspectives at our disposal. But for people who are entrenched in it, sometimes it's interesting knowing what they thought. Uh, And also they're just really good mysteries. (laughs) So... And then the other reason why I think you and most people who who like it love it uh, is because Foyle himself is extremely likable Mm. right off the bat, which is not always the case these days. (laughs) But he is moral, he's honest, and he has a strength of character that's just really fantastic. So uh, I would highly recommend Foyle's War. We're just about done the first season, and uh, we've been watching it on... Hoopla, which is a library streaming service. I couldn't find it on Amazon or Netflix right now, but it should be available at at most local libraries, I would think. Okay, that's going to do it for us this week. And if you want to get in touch and chat with us about our topic today, you can find us on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com or leave us a comment on Facebook or Instagram at The Modern Lady Podcast. I'm Michelle Sachs, and you can find me on Instagram at mmsachs. And I'm Lindsay Murray, and you can find me on Instagram at lindsayhomemaker. 
Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week and we will see you next time. Thank you.